Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. As always, thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope you're safe and well. We wrap up the week talking about calls for more assistance for agriculture. The pork industry has certainly uh, made it very clear that uh, they're in a crisis situation. They need more assistance. The renewable fuels industry is calling for assistance. They've been left out so far. They want to see some help coming. We'll be talking about that on today's program with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and the latest on the ongoing battle with EPA over small refinery exemptions. We're going to talk with the Missouri Ag Director today, Chris Chin. We're going to take a look at the impact of COVID-19 on that state and that state's response, what's going on there in terms of assistance and help for not only producers but for uh, the hungry, the needy in that in that state as well with the, the food distribution programs. And we're going to get a planting update. We're going to go to the state of North Dakota uh, where the challenge continues to uh, get the the crops planted this year. We're going to talk with this uh, North Dakota farmer for a planting update from that state a little later on in the program. But first, uh, we're happy to have with us someone very familiar with the state of North Dakota, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to have you with us. Uh, it's good. To, it's good to be with you. Uh, and I'm at my home in Washington, and I can report that that uh, D.C. is finally opening up in phase one today. I'm going to get my hair cut and hopefully uh, go to a restaurant and dine outdoors having a hamburger tonight. Yeah, you're part of that pent-up demand that we all, I guess, are part of. And as the country starts reopening uh, bit by bit, uh, people just can't wait to get out and, and, and return to some some normalcy. Meanwhile, uh, anything but normal for many sectors of agriculture, probably about every sector of agriculture. And we're hearing more and more calls for more assistance, even as producers are signing up for the for the CFAP assistance that's going out now. Uh, yes, uh, and if you if you want to know what can be passed, I'd look to what was in the Heroes Act that the House Democrats passed uh, uh, before they left town. They have come back since once, but there was a couple of weeks ago that they passed that legislation, uh, and uh, I think they're uh, you know I think the Senate's going to be under intense pressure now, uh, but we still don't know how soon the Senate will act because. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is very hesitant about this, so there might be something by the 4th of July, but we're talking about certainly there will be another aid bill by the uh, time the Congress leaves in August for the conventions and the campaigns. Probably not another $3 trillion. Now what we wait to see, what do they trim out of that HEROES Act and what do they keep? That's right. Uh, uh, that's right. Uh, I think there, that there could be a deal, for example, for increasing food stamp benefits by 15% and then keeping the uh, provisions uh, that would help farmers. That They could put those two things uh, together in a, in a nice package. Uh, just what survives out of the farm stuff, I don't know. Uh, but most likely there would be another increase in the purchasing or, or borrowing authority for the Commodity Credit Corporation, and then probably some direction to, con- to the Agriculture Department on how to spend that money. 
Uh, the uh, uh, Democrats are urging them now to use some of the CCC money to uh, to help the farm workers and the and the plant workers uh, to make sure that they have pr- protective equipment and also that they get tests for COVID. Of course, we've had another big outbreak, over 500 positive tests in a meatpacking plant. So uh, uh, that issue continues. Meanwhile, what are you hearing about the the food purchases and the distribution food distribution program? Uh, we hear stories of it working well in some places, not so well in other places. What What's the general reaction been? Well, that's been very interesting. There's this particular case of this one contract that was let to this firm. I think it's in Austin, Texas. Um, uh, it didn't have any experience in this, and they seem to be having a lot of trouble. But yesterday I was quite surprised that uh, Secretary Perdue and Senator Leahy, a Democrat from uh, Vermont who's often critical of USDA, uh, held a, uh, a joint uh, press conference on a webinar, uh, and they were uh, uh, they were in, united in their praise. And apparently the program has done a very good job of getting uh, food from small producers in Vermont and distributing it to the needy. Yeah, so I guess anytime you so have a, a program, yeah, anytime you have a program like that, there you're going to you're going to get a mix probably. It's not all going to go smoothly. One of the most interesting things was that Purdue pointed out that the food in these boxes is very high quality. A lot of the time the food that people get from food banks isn't very good. It's it's uh it's stale dated uh or the vegetables aren't very nice. But this is food that would normally have gone to restaurants, so it's very, uh, it's very high quality. Uh, so the, the, probably the food people are getting is very good. It's just a question of whether the, whether the distributors are organized to get it to them uh, in an efficient way. Uh, they've put out one million boxes, uh, one of the officials said, but the plan is that the program will ultimately distribute 40 million boxes of food. Anytime you have a program like this, the headlines usually go to the problems, and sometimes what gets overlooked is the people are getting helped from this program, or these types of programs, and I think that needs to be highlighted as well. Uh, I agree with you, and uh, I only really know of that one bad case out in uh, with that uh, uh, one firm that uh, that seems doesn't seem to be competent in what they're doing. I mentioned the Renewable Fuels Association. We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper here in just a moment. But uh, there are some senators calling for uh, assistance for the biofuels industry. Yes, and that HEROES Act did include a provision to make payments to the, to the ethanol plants, and that was the first time that that had been made. There, have, there is, of course, assistance to the corn farmers uh, um, in the uh, CFAP program. Uh, but nothing for the people, for the plants themselves and all their workers. Um, so I would imagine there'll be pressure to do something along that line. But then there are the uh, oil senator, oil state senators, and they, you know, they want to pull back in the RFS instead. So there's there's still that continuing battle there between the two sides of the of the fuel industry. Yeah, that's a good segue into our next segment. Jerry, thank you very much. Stay safe. Enjoy the uh, uh, the freedom. You're about to get there in Washington, D.C., and being able to go out. To enjoy. Stay safe. We'll talk to you again soon. 
Great. I will be masks. I want everyone to know that. All right. Thanks a lot. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to talk with Missouri Ag Director Chris Chin about some of the uh, the assistance efforts, relief efforts going on in the state of Missouri as that state deals with COVID-19. But up next, as we were just talking about with Jerry Hagstrom, we're going to talk about the ongoing situation for the renewable fuels industry, calling for more assistance and trying to fend off attacks to the renewable fuel standard and these uh, uh, small refinery exemptions. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, joins us next. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots to talk about with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks as always for joining us as we wait to see what the Senate's going to do as far as another stimulus package and what they may or may not do with the HEROES Act that passed in the House. Uh, you do have some governors stepping up and, and supporting you, saying the industry needs help. That's right, Mike. We were pleased to see a letter from Governors Nome and Waltz uh, sent into uh, leadership in, in both the Senate and House uh, just yesterday, uh, asking leaders in both chambers to make sure that uh, as a Phase 4 COVID-19 stimulus bill works through Congress to, to make sure that there is support for biofuel producers in that package. We did see a, a provision in the HEROES Act that passed out of the House uh, that would provide direct uh, assistance to ethanol producers. And, you know, we know the Senate is starting to discuss um, what a fourth package would, would look like in, in the Senate. Uh, we did see Senators Grassley and Klobuchar, uh, you know, take the very proactive step uh, a week or so ago of introducing legislation um, that would do really the same thing that the House uh, legislation would do and, and provide direct assistance uh, to ethanol producers. So we're, we're hopeful that uh, there is uh, support uh, for including biofuel relief measures in, in a Senate version of, of a fourth bill, and we believe that support is there. Um, so we're just, you know, I guess the big question now is, is timing and, and how do we get it over the goal line? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we do see as the country starts to reopen, we see driving picking up, fuel demand picking up. How is that impacting the ethanol industry? Are we seeing plants uh, resume production, increase production? Where are we? We are seeing uh, some facilities that were idled coming back online. Uh, We're seeing other facilities that had reduced their output rates slowly uh, ramp those rates back up. Uh, so we are seeing some some rebound. We've seen four straight weeks of increases in in production. Uh, the numbers out yesterday showed that last week we were operating at a annualized rate of 11 billion gallons of of, uh, of production. Um, you know, so that's that's up about 35 percent over where we were just a month ago. So uh, in in four or five weeks, we've we've come a long way, uh, but we're still 32 percent below where we were a year ago. Uh, so still operating far below the industry's normal operating rates, uh, and there are still you know lots of facilities that are entirely idled uh, or partially idled, um, you know, and, and still awaiting for 
demand to return uh, more no- to more normal conditions. We, we have seen some increases in gasoline consumption, but we still have a long way to go before we get back to sort of pre pre-COVID levels. Have we put a dent in the stocks? We, I mean, uh, tanks were pretty well full, right? A lot of these plants uh, had no more capacity. Have we put a dent in that? We, we really have. We've seen, uh, uh, you know, consecutive draws in, in stocks. Uh, we did hit a record high for, for ethanol stocks in, in April. Uh, and, again, over the last five, six weeks, we've seen uh, that, you know, that record level really come down and, and come down quite significantly uh, to the point where, you know, current levels of stocks are not that much higher than they were a year ago. Um, so we have have seen uh, a lot of that surplus working off, which is good. But again, when you look at stocks relative to use, uh, you know, our stocks are close to where they were a year ago, but our, our demand certainly isn't. So we still have a long way to go in terms of balancing uh, supply with demand. But I will say the industry has been, uh, you know, really good about, um, you know, not uh, not rushing to bring capacity back online before the market is ready for it. Are you concerned that some of those idle plants will not reopen? Well, that is that is a concern for us. We know that uh, a lot of them were were not in great financial shape before COVID hit, because of you know the trade war and lost export market opportunities, and and because of what EPA was doing to us on small refinery exemptions. Uh, so uh, you know there are a number of facilities, a number of companies that. Uh, you know, the, the double whammy of what was happening before COVID along with COVID now uh, has, has put them in, in a precarious position. And so there is some concern that without some assistance or, or um, help, uh, some of those facilities may not return. And, you know, that's a, that's a lost market for corn farmers in the area. It's, it means lost jobs for that local community. Uh, so we're doing everything we can to help uh, avoid that sort of situation and, and make sure these plants can get back online and, and grinding corn again as, as soon as possible. We are talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We're still fighting the same battles with EPA and the oil industry over small refinery exemptions. Um, now some are trying to take advantage of a crisis and get exemptions that had already been denied before all this started, but uh, somehow I guess they feel with the crisis they think this is their chance to uh, to get the exemptions. Well, yeah, there's there's really a couple of things going on. They're, they're asking for uh, a, a waiver of the RFS entirely in, in 2020 because of COVID-19, and they're saying, you know, the, the drop in gasoline and diesel consumption makes it impossible for them to comply with the RFS this year, and, and that is nonsense because the RFS requirements actually uh, adjust up and down with whatever gasoline and diesel demand is doing. Uh, so that argument doesn't hold water. Uh, but the other thing we're seeing the refiners do now uh, in an attempt to really circumvent the Tenth Circuit Court decision that we got in January uh, is they're going back to EPA and asking for uh, exemptions for years that, that you know, passed long ago. And the reason they're doing that is the Tenth Circuit Court, you know, essentially said if a small refinery hasn't had an exemption each and every year consecutively since 2013, then they're not entitled or or even eligible to ask for one going forward. Um, So what these refineries are doing is saying, well, I may not have had an exemption in, in 2014 or 2015, for example, 
So I'm going to go back to EPA and ask them to grant me retroactively an exemption for those years so I can establish this continuum that the court requires and I can remain eligible for exemptions going forward. So the whole thing is just another ploy by the refiners to keep that loophole open, uh, and, and we're going to fight that as well. Meanwhile, again, we just can't seem to get much uh, direction or guidance from EPA and what they're going to do. No, it's it's really been hard to read uh, what direction the agency is going. We've been asking them really since the end of January to to just rip the Band-Aid off, to take this Tenth Circuit decision, apply it nationwide, uh, you know, make the rules of the road very clear for everyone, and, and let's let's go about our business. Uh, we're also waiting on the 2021 RFS volume proposals uh, from from EPA. Those are being reviewed by the White House and, and should be out uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's hard to look at those numbers and put any stock or faith in in what you see on on the paper because uh, the last several years we've seen those numbers eroded through any number of small refiner exemptions and, and other gimmicks and, and loopholes that uh, EPA and the refiners have used. So uh, it is very frustrating when we all know that the intent of this program uh, was to establish certainty, and, and that was Congress's purpose in designing and, and passing the RFS was to provide marketplace certainty uh, for ethanol and other biofuel producers, and we just haven't seen that because of the haphazard way EPA is enforcing this program. And another example, we, a year ago, here we were a year ago excited about getting E15 for summer uh, sales and, you know, for year-round uh, throughout the country. And even though you got that, it was almost immediately undermined by the granting of those small refinery exemptions, and it really diminished the impact of uh, getting the E15 year-round. Yeah, it, it really did, and it was almost exactly a year ago. It was uh, June 11th uh, last year when we welcomed President Trump uh, to the Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy Ethanol Plant there in Council Bluffs, uh, took him on a tour of the facility. Uh, he made the big announcement about year-round E15. Uh, and, and, yeah, that's been great to be able to sell E15 through the summer months. Uh, we have seen some, some increases in, in E15 sales as a result of that action. Uh, but at the same time, you, you took, uh, you know, you, you took all the pressure off the marketplace to expand E15 uh, by granting these small refinery exemptions and creating just so much uncertainty in the marketplace around the RFS. So uh, they, it kind of gave with one hand and, and took away with the other, and it's uh, uh, kind of led to the, the uncertain times that we're in today. All right, Jeff, thanks for the update, and we'll watch closely to see what happens in the Senate for some assistance for the biofuels industry. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're very happy to have with us the Director of Agriculture for the State of Missouri, Chris Chin. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Good, good. Good to talk with you again. Um, can you give us an overview of, of the impact COVID-19 has had on Missouri agriculture? 
Well, sure. We have seen um, a lot of our Missouri farmers and ranchers struggling right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been hearing of milk dumping across the state of Missouri. Our cattlemen have seen their beef prices drop. On the hog side, they have had many challenges trying to get their pigs moved to market. Corn prices have dropped. Our, our bean prices have dropped. It's just really been a challenging time. Dr. Scott Brown at the University of Missouri even estimates that the losses to Missouri farmers and ranchers could be up around $850 million in Missouri. Hmm. And you, as a pork producer, you know firsthand the crisis situation for the pork industry. Yes, it's, it's really been a challenge for our hog farmers. You know, overnight, pretty much, they saw their market capacity just decrease. And it's really been a struggle for them. They had pigs that were ready to go to market. They've been forced to hold them longer. Um, and it, it's just really created a lot of challenges. Many of those farmers had to change the diets for their pigs to where they were a, a pretty much a no-growth diet to be able to try and, and wait out this pandemic and the impact that it's had on the processors across the United States. Have you heard many producers having to euthanize hogs there in Missouri? In Missouri, we have not seen that yet. We've been very fortunate. Um, our two processors here in the state of Missouri, while they did have to slow down their lines due to absenteeism, they never went down completely. And so that was a blessing for our Missouri farmers and ranchers. Some of our farmers, um, they do ship, though, into other states like Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska. And so the, they had the impacts as well from, from the shutdowns in those states. Um, but we've been very fortunate. We've been able to hold those pigs longer here in Missouri. And in the last couple of weeks, they're actually starting to be able to ship more loads to market. Um, so it, it's been able to prevent them from having to do what some other farmers up in Minnesota and Iowa have had to, to face with euthanasia. What uh, efforts and programs have you been able to uh, use in Missouri as the Department of Agriculture to assist uh, producers, also to assist consumers uh, in, in different types of relief and assistance projects? Well, you know, we're really lucky in the state of Missouri. Our governor is a farmer himself, and so he understands the challenges that agriculture was, was facing very early on in the pandemic. And so we worked with other state agencies and federal agencies to make sure that we could get some relief for trucking for our farmers and ranchers to get their products to market. Um, we we had some relief on the overweight um regulations, hours of service, and we even worked with Department of Natural Resources because we, we thought some farmers may end up having to keep higher inventory numbers on their farms than they normally would um, if the packers went down, so we were able to get some flexibility there as well. Um, you know, we also were very quick to make sure that everyone understood what the Department of Homeland Security critical infrastructure workforce meant and that, that we needed to make sure that we protected agriculture and food processors to make sure they were able to continue to work. And, you know, we even saw some milk shortages happen in the state of Missouri. And so with the help of our state milk board, we reached out to processors um, when we saw that there were limits on milk to have them reach out to those grocery stores and, and increase their shipments so that we could get rid of those milk limits. And um, when people were asked to stay at home for two weeks and they were limited to one or two gallons of milk, that just doesn't work, especially when you have all the kids home from school. So we worked really closely with the state milk board to make sure that we could prevent that problem from happening. The efforts now by USDA to purchase commodities and get that food, get those commodities to uh, 
the food insecure, those that need them, uh, and we've heard a lot about this program. Is, is that happening in the state of Missouri? It is. And actually, you know, we recently, through the Missouri Farmers Care, they made a donation of pork to the local food banks. And so I think there was about 100 head of hogs that were donated. Um, a local processor actually processed those animals at a reduced rate. So that, um, and the, the Missouri Farmers Care and the agriculture organizations raised the money to pay for that processing. And they were able to donate that pork this last week, I believe. Um, and it was 10,000 pounds that was, was donated to those local food banks to help. And so even when agriculture was struggling, our farmers and ranchers still stepped up to help those who were also in need. Your state of Missouri is is opening up ahead of uh, even more than some of your neighboring states. Uh, are, are you starting to see uh, some bounce back, some recovery in some of these areas? You know, I think it's been slow. Um, we are starting to see some of the restaurants that are allowing um, in restaurant dining, but it looks very different. Um, the tables are spaced out differently. The number of seats at a table have been different. Um, but we are starting to see people get a little more comfortable with reopening and trying to get back to somewhat of a, of a normal routine. And so that's been exciting. I know for the farm community, um, you know, when their local cafe shut down, it was during planning time. And, you know, that was a challenge for some. Um, but a lot of those cafes were still able to do the to-go orders. Um, and so that really wasn't much different than what normal spring planning time was like. So I know, though, that our farmers and ranchers are anxious to get their local restaurants back open so they can have that interaction again yeah i've heard some farm families talk about uh their uh, wives aren't used to having their husbands home as much for breakfast and lunch as they have been during this you know they're used to them being out at the coffee shops or whatever so it's been a little bit of a change there it has and you know for for farmers and ranchers they're the best at social distancing because of their their work environment you know they don't work close together they work alone a lot of the time so those social interactions that they have at the morning coffee shop or when they go to the cafe for lunch, those are really important. Um, and so it's something that the agriculture community has really missed. So um, we know states, state budgets are really impacted by, uh, by COVID-19 and the economic shutdown. That, of course, impacts funding of different departments and programs. Let's look at uh, the Missouri Department of Agriculture. Are you going to be able to continue uh, the services that you have previous um, because of uh, the financial constraints that your, your state will now deal with? Well, you know, at the Department of Agriculture, we're still looking to see what, what is going to happen. Um, so we are, we are preparing for many different scenarios, but we are working really hard to make sure that the services that we provide to consumers and to our constituency um, are able to be carried off. And so that's really important for us. A lot of our funding is a fee-based funding structure. Um, so that, that is beneficial to us as a department. We receive about $5 million of general revenue. And so most of that goes to our animal health division and preventing disease entering the state and making sure that we protect the livestock that are here in the state. Um, some of it goes to our grain inspection program as well as our weights and measures um, for the scale programs as well. So um, that's where our general revenue dollars go. We're looking at ways that we can save money um, and reduce travel where, where we can, do some things online where necessary um, just to try and cut back and save some of that 
that money that the state's maybe not going to have coming in like we had projected we would before. We're talking with Missouri Director of Agriculture Chris Chin. Chris, has any decision been made on this summer's Missouri State Fair? At this time, we have not made a decision on the State Fair. Um, Our State Fair commissioners are watching um, the numbers all across the state. They're talking with other states. They're looking at what what challenges might be in place um, if we have a State Fair and some of the the implications of having a fair or not having a fair. So they're still weighing all of those decisions right now. Um, It's not an easy decision at all. They want to make sure that they are protecting people, and they want to make sure that the kids are able to have a good experience. And so that's their top priority. Are county fairs, some of them being canceled? Yes, we have seen several county fairs cancel or go to a livestock show only. Um, so there are many counties who are just trying to make sure that they're they're keeping their members safe but allowing those students who have worked on those projects be able to still showcase them at the county fair. You know, a big part of this, the impact of COVID-19, Chris, has been the the, the mental aspect of it. Uh, we When you disrupt people's lives to this extent and you take away so many things that are important to them and the social interaction, um, we hear about the cases of depression and the pressures on people. And a lot of that was already there with agriculture going into this. So this has only uh, uh, made that uh, even tougher for many people. You're exactly right. This has really amplified those challenges. You know, agriculture was was not having the best of economic times, especially for our livestock men and women. You know, they, they're not able to ship their livestock. Um, they don't have their checks coming in like they normally would, you know, for our cattlemen and women. Sometimes they only get one check a year, and it's this time of year that they were expecting to get it. And so um, that puts a lot of strain on the family. It puts a lot of strain on the farm. And so when your expenses continue to roll in, and in some cases they continue to increase, and your income decreases, it really is a stressful time. And so we've been encouraging all of our farmers and ranchers to reach out, um, to talk to somebody, to you know, try and find resources that are available for them to help. Um, we have a page on our website that has a number there for, for farmers and ranchers if they just want to talk to somebody about it. Um, just trying to encourage them that you know they're more important than anything um, and their life matters. And if you're having a hard time dealing with this additional stress, to reach out and talk to somebody because um, it'll be confidential and we just want to make sure that they're here for next year when it's time to market the next the next crop of calf or mm-hmm. beans, corn, whatever it might right. be. Chris, good to talk with you again. Take care. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Missouri Director of Agriculture, Chris Chin, joining us here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. While planting progress is certainly overall way ahead of last year, because last year was such a slow year with the weather problems, but in some places even ahead of the average, even ahead of the five-year average. But some areas, like North Dakota, it's been more of a struggle, a slower uh, pace because of challenging weather conditions so let's go to north dakota and check in with uh, scott german scott thank you for being with us uh how's planting going on your farm well mike we're uh, kind of 
kind of getting down to the tail end of what we can get planning, but that doesn't mean we're done. It just means we're done with what we can get. So uh, corn, corn, I'd say we're probably 30% done uh, with what we can get planted. And after, uh, you know, surpassing a final plant date last week, uh, I don't really see us pressing the issue. We're still trying to get a few more beans plugged in here, but uh, that's kind of a, a slow process as well, too. Still wet? Yeah, I mean, it's it's drying up, but, you know, we were just so wet last fall, and, you know, there's still producers that, uh, in fact, I had to make a parts run last week, uh, about a 20-mile run, and, and I think I've seen about as many cornfields left standing as there was cornfields planted this year, and uh, joked with a buddy of mine that he uh, planted corn on a Monday, and he was combining corn on a Tuesday, so there's there's still some challenges left up here in North Dakota trying to get the crop in, and, and NASS says that we're uh, 54% planted in the last week. I guess I would kind of question that number. I think that's a little high, uh, but I guess we'll go with it for now. But there's de- there's definitely some challenges up here. Producers are still plugging away at beans, but I think for the most part, guys have kind of just uh, parked the corn planters. Yeah, when I saw that number in the uh, planting report this week i thought that seemed high for north dakota based on what i was hearing from people in north dakota yeah i mean as i talk to different uh board members or producers around the area you know you've got pockets maybe in the southeast corner that are you know 70 80 percent planted and and you can get in the north central area where you know 10 or 15 percent planted is all they are so i I kind of question that number, but uh, like I said, we'll go with it for now, and I guess maybe in June there we'll find out what the final numbers were. We're talking with North Dakota farmer Scott German. Scott, of course, you have a, a lot of crops, a lot of variety of crops in North Dakota. What are you hearing on, on some of those other crops? You know, the spring wheat, I think, you know, that's acres are definitely going to be down, probably not near to they're nearly the extent on corn. Some of the, the dry beans, the edible type things, you know, they're – they're still working on them, uh, you know, with the lack of corn acres or uh, not being able to get corn in. Maybe we might pick up a few more, you know, edible bean-type acres. Uh, you know, the canolas, you know, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse there. That's up more in the northern part of the state. So, uh, you know, I know they're a little drier out west and up north, so maybe planting progress in some of them specialty crops or minor crops, uh, you know, might be a little bit ahead of the, the corn and soybean pace here for the state. Last time we talked, you mentioned the good chance that there would be a lot of prevent plant acres again in North Dakota. What do you, what are you seeing and hearing now? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think much has changed, Mike, since the last time we talked. Like you said, after surpassing the final plant date on corn, you know, after all the challenges and issues guys had last fall with you know high moisture, low test weight, uh, corn still standing in the field. Uh, I don't think producers are willing to push this final plant period or the late planting period. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to end North Dakota is definitely going to end up with more prevent plant last than we had last year. And, you know, I thought we had a bunch last year. You know, as you drive around the countryside, you see corn stalks and soybeans double from last year that was planted that, you know, isn't planted this year. So, uh, you know, that just leads me to believe that we have more prevent plant coming in North Dakota this year than we had last year. The corn from last year that didn't get harvested till this year, uh, how did it yield? What was the quality of that corn? You know, from what I'm hearing, you know, obviously we have some end rows and stuff where the snow took it down and, and yield loss, uh, you know, maybe around some smooths and things like that, some yield loss. But from what I've been hearing, you know, 
guys are kind of pleasantly surprised, uh, you know, what kind of yield is out there. The test weight has definitely come up, you know, two, three, four pounds. Moisture's gone down. So, you know, I think some of the producers that left corn standing in the field over winter, you know, maybe some sleepless nights, it maybe isn't turning out too bad for them. The corn you have planted this year, what kind of stand do you have? You know, stands are, are pretty good. You know, we can we could definitely use some more heat up here and you know as i'm spraying with a hooded sweatshirt on right now it's we can definitely use some heat the stands are there uh pretty decent the you know emergence is a little bit behind maybe where we'd like to see you know there's a little bit of yellow and and some discoloring in the corn just from lack of heat but sounds like next week uh our heat's coming and you know once once it does start growing and get some warm weather probably take off pretty good so you're kind of on hold now till you get some of that better weather? Yeah, I, I think, you know, producers are, even on the soybean end of it, I you know, I think they're probably going to push hard, you know, maybe the next week or so. And then after that, if, if you know, guys can't get stuff planted, I, I think they're just going to take that prevent plan option. Like I said, with the struggles and issues we had last year, pushing the, the late planting period, and I, I just don't see producers, you know, the market's not there telling us to, go out and push that late planting period. So I, I, I just think producers are going to, you know, reluctantly take the prevent plan option and I guess live the fight next year. All right, Scott. Well, thank you for the update. We hope that weather does improve for you and uh, you can get things uh, wrapped up there. Thank you so much. Yep. Always going to talk to you, Mike, and well, I'm sure we'll chat down the road sometime. Sure will. Thanks a lot. Take care, Scott. Scott German, yep. he's a farmer in uh, North Dakota where the, uh, planting paces have been slower uh, than in other parts of the country and certainly it is still trying to get harvesting done from last year well with that we're going to wrap it up for the week coming up uh, on monday we're going to get more details on the pork industry's call for more assistance they've highlighted uh, the the crisis situation pork producers are facing uh, they're needing and wanting more assistance we'll, we'll take a closer look at that and a lot of focus right now on the relationship between the U.S. and China. We're going to talk with the uh, uh, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council and take a look at that relationship, what it means for the Phase 1 trade deal moving forward. So that will be coming up on Monday, plus all the weather information as well. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend, and join us Monday on AOA. AOA.